Is that better? I'd like to give a very warm welcome. It's lovely to have so many of you here for our Good Friday service this afternoon. Others probably watching online, a big welcome to you as well. And a very big and warm welcome to Paul Oliver, who's come up from Southampton, where he's involved with the church, pastor of the church, Netley Christian Fellowship. We're really pleased to have had him here in the past and really pleased that he's been able to come up today to preach God's word to us. Uh, it's a great day on which we gather together, uh, thinking of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good Friday, so pleased to be meeting today. Also, we'll just uh, remind people that we have services on a Sunday, Easter Sunday. We have special services which are, might be very suitable for inviting people, so do keep that in mind if you haven't done already. The family service at half past ten, and then the evening meeting, evening service at half past six. And uh, within that, we will be interviewing Josh and Jade about what Easter means to them. Um, I will be giving a slightly shorter uh, message than usual so that's suitable for people coming for the first time. That will be on the theme of life. Really thinking of, uh, is there life after death? Is there life before death? I want to make it right appropriate for those that are coming. And as an Easter treat, we've also got puddings afterwards. So if uh, there's still people you'd like to ask to come to one of those, then please feel free to do so. Well, I'm going to read a verse and pray before our first hymn. Let me just read um, from Galatians 6, where Paul says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we want to come today centred on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Recalling, remembering, realising maybe for the first time or perhaps for many being refreshed in the memory of how important the cross of Christ is. And to glory in our Lord Jesus and his cross. To delight in him. To feel that fresh sense of confidence alone in him as our saviour. To feel that uh, desire to tell others of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we may glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for your help for us all as we meet together in this place of worship at this time. We do pray that... Uh, you will help us to, to sing along with a softened heart to the hymns which are so much about Jesus. We pray we might be responsive to the word that is read to, to us and to feel a sense of unity as we pray together. And we pray for Paul also as he opens up your word that you'll bless him and bless us through him as we're pointed to our Lord Jesus Christ. Do be honoured and do bless us. Favour us with your kindness as you so frequently do. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the verse that we read leads us on to our first hymn that we have this afternoon, which is, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, 
my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Shall we stand and sing through our first song? Well, our main Bible reading is from the prophecy of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, uh, starting in chapter 52 and reading into chapter 53. So we're on page 613, if you've got the church Bible, it will also be displayed on the PowerPoint. And this is the passage uh, that Paul is preaching from later on. It's in the Old Testament but it uh, so clearly 
points to events that happen in the New Testament concerning Jesus Christ, even though it was written centuries before his coming. So let me read then from verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
Well, wonderful words, and before we have a few more verses and a time of prayer, we're going to uh, sing some words that uh, flow out of this chapter, Isaiah 53. So we'll move on to our next song, which is, He was pierced for our transgression and bruised for our iniquities, and to bring us peace he was punished, and by his stripes we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and to bring us peace he was punished and by his stripes we are healed He was led like a lamb to Although he was innocent of crime And cut off from the land of the living He paid for the gift what was mine Like sheep have gone to move on to our prayer time and I was wanting it to be a time of open prayer, people praying brief uh, prayers in response to the things that we're thinking of today and uh, I thought it would be helpful in and of itself but also in leading us into our time of prayer just to remind you of the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. So some of the main words from them are going to remain up there, uh, but I'm going to read through uh, those words and sometimes a little bit more to do with them. And then the idea is that afterwards, uh, stirred by the day, the events of the day, and perhaps these words that a a good number of folk will just uh, lead us in prayer with brief prayers in response to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then to the thief on the cross next to him, who was repentant, he said, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Matthew 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfil the scripture, I thirst. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Lastly, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Well, let's have a number lead us in prayer. Father, we do thank you that we can come knowing that for every sin more than enough he paid. Oh Lord, we thank you for the love which sent him. We thank you for the love of your son (coughs) in bearing the sins of each one of your children. Amen. Thank you for what we have met together to remember this afternoon and this evening. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can look back and remember what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Lord, we thank you that he came to be the lamb, the lamb who would be slaughtered. Lord, we thank you that he is the glorious priest that was appointed by God. Lord, we thank you that all his life he was heading to this great event that we are remembering this afternoon. And Lord, we pray that we might understand. Lord, open our hearts and open our minds, open our souls so that we can understand more of what it meant for you, the Holy One, to bear away our sin. Lord, help us to understand 
that it was not the nails that bound you to the cross, but it was your everlasting love. And Lord, we pray then that we might learn to make our boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that might be our, our only boast, that he loved me and gave himself for me.
Lord, I pray you'd help us be more Christ-like, that when we're going through hard times or we're in pain, actually we're looking out for others too, like Jesus was. Thank you so much for the example he is. Thank you for how radical he is. And I do just pray that we will be more Christ-like in the way that we act, so we can show the world um, what you, who you are and what you mean to people. Um, Lord, I do just pray you get the glory from our meeting here today and from this whole weekend. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Lord, I thank you for what we read in Isaiah. I thank you that for so many years before Jesus died on the cross, you had that plan. And I think from the beginning of time that you had that plan to save us. I thank you that you you kept your word, you never break your word, and I thank you that we can trust you. Amen. Lord, I thank you that you paid it all. Lord, I thank you that when you said it's finished, that means that there's nothing more to be done with it. Your justice has been satisfied. Lord, I thank you that there's nothing we can do to earn it, and that you have, yeah, paid our ransom, that we can now be right with you. Lord, I pray that um, that's something we've realised, if we haven't realised it before, or if we've known it maybe for a long time, Lord, please help us not to lose the wonder, Lord, that you, yeah, freely gave yourself for us, and yeah, that you have fully paid for every wrong thing we've done and every wrong thing we will do. Lord, I thank you that we have that future to look forward to, Lord. I thank you that you have that victory over death. And Lord, I pray that, yeah, we will give you the glory for that. Amen. Thank you. Uh, sorry for the live streamers that you couldn't hear, but hopefully having the slides displayed help you to think about the uh, sayings of Jesus yourself and pray through them. Well, after our next uh, hymn, I'm going to hand over to Paul Oliver, who's going to be preaching for us. Uh, just to say that after the service, refreshments are provided, so you're very welcome to stay. They'll be served in the Sunday school. Well, our third hymn is a a prayer, really, for us as we come into thinking about the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the hymn, Give me a sight, O Saviour, of your great love to me, the love that brought you down from heaven to die on Calvary. Shall we sing this through? And shall we pray it through in our hearts as we sing it?
so much for uh, welcome to, to come to the invitation to come to, to Crowborough. Uh, bring the greetings from the church at Netley. We have a, a baptismal service a week on Sunday where a number of people are being baptised. And when we were listening to the testimonies of a number of those candidates, three of those candidates, teenagers, they all referred to forest fold camps that they'd been on and what an important part that had played in their Christian journey. So please be encouraged, receive our thanks in the Lord for what you've done, but see that your labours not only bring forth fruit in Crowborough, but elsewhere as well. So God bless you. We're going to turn to Isaiah 52, verse 13, to the end of chapter 53. We could almost call this the Gospel of Isaiah, couldn't we? It's so wonderfully... Um, the cross is so wonderfully portrayed to us here. And uh, what I want to do is just to walk through these verses with you this evening. And look at the first words, the way that this fourth servant song is, is brought to us. God says, verse 13 of, of chapter 52, Behold my servant. And everything in the book of Isaiah has been building up to the point where the Lord can say these words, Behold my servant. From Isaiah chapter 40, the beginning of the book of the servant, the, the third part of Isaiah, God has been making incredible promises to Isaiah and to Israel. The promises that he's been firing into the darkness of the world that Isaiah's living in, the, the horrors that are, are facing the country. And yet they're, they're promises that speak not just of restoration of the nation, but if you go from 40 onwards to the evangelization of the whole world. And not just to a rebuilt Jerusalem, but on from there to a recreated heavens and earth. After Isaiah 40, God is speaking peace and comfort to his people. He's telling them that their warfare is over, that their sins are forgiven, that grace reigns, all because a king is coming to his throne. But from that point, God hasn't yet told us what this king is going to do. The promises just carry on mounting up from 40 to chapter 51. And then in the middle of chapter 51, verse 9, it's as if Isaiah can't contain himself any longer. And he just says, awake, awake, wake up, God, and do it. Awake, awake, O arm of the Lord. And God's response to Isaiah is lovely. It's uh, there in verse 17 of chapter 51. It's, no, you wake up. You wake up to what I'm doing. And you start believing. Start holding on to my promises. Isaiah, Israel, wake up to no condemnation. Because I'm taking the cup of wrath and judgment away from you. Wake up to a new status. Chapter 52, verse 1. Put on beautiful garments. Be seated on your thrones. Wake up, God says, to the fact that I, myself, am coming to help you, to sort things out. Wake up to a new song, to a runner who comes running over the top of the mountains with news of a battle that we didn't yet see and start shouting to us, your God reigns. And I think Isaiah is trying to peer over that mountain to see what has actually happened that God is so excited about. And he says, what should we do? And God says to him then, well, you, you're on a new exodus now. Walk out. But walk out with your heads held high this time. 
Walk out, not like Israel in, in the Exodus, looking over your shoulders, wondering what's going to happen. Because, because of what I've done, your enemies lie shattered in the battle that the Lord fought. And then finally, God shows us how. And he opens up to us this fourth servant song that will be the clearest, most wonderful picture of the cross in the Old Testament. The song is a, a complete masterpiece. I didn't dare break it up and just look at one part of it. Many voices are heard in it. It begins and it ends with Yahweh singing about his servant that he's so pleased with. Chapter 52, verses 13 and 14, and 53, 11 and 12, they're, they're all um, Yahweh singing. And, and then in chapter 53, verses 1 to 6, you've got the first witnesses of the servant singing about him. And then chapter 53, verses 7 to 10, Isaiah adds his own solo. There's only one voice that we don't hear singing in the servant's song. Whose is that? The servant himself. In fact, not only does he not say a word, we have our attention fixed on, the, on his silence. Verse 7, yet he opened not his mouth. So, he opened not his mouth. But we'll start with the the Lord's introduction to the song. And he presents to us an enigma. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For what has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. God is setting Isaiah a puzzle here. We have the highest exaltation. He will be high, He will be lifted up. He will be exalted. And yet, we have the deepest humiliation and suffering. The word astonished is a a rather flat translation of the Hebrew here. Appalled would be more accurate. This one who is so exalted that he couldn't be higher, many were appalled. Why? Well, because God tells you his appearance was so marred. It was beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. There'd be a time when this servant who you've been introduced to in a series of songs from Isaiah 40 onwards, who is so kind he doesn't break a bruised reed who is so merciful he sets the prisoners free. Because of him, the lame leap for joy. The guilty get their heads lifted up. He's the one who comes and he he blesses his people with every possible blessing. But there comes a point when God's son, wearing our humanity, in that body has been whipped by Roman scourges, beaten with rods when his face is bloodied as his beard has been pulled out and he's been spat into. 
His brow is pierced with a crown of vicious thorns. And now his hands and his feet are pierced with nails. And so marred and so disfigured was his appearance that God is telling us here that people will not be saying, is that the servant? Is that the Messiah? They'll be saying, is that even human? What a paradox. Such exaltation. Such suffering. Such humiliation. But it was because he stooped so low. This is the thing that God keeps telling you in Isaiah 52 and 53. It was because he stooped so low that he's raised so high. And he, we got the words high, raised, lifted up and exalted. And it's, it's hard not to see there, isn't it? Resurrection, raised, ascension, lifted up, exalted, enthronement. All because he won that victory on the cross. That global victory that changes the whole world. That that God spells out to you in verse 15 of chapter 52. Because of his suffering, he's going to sprinkle, he's going to cleanse many nations. Because of what he's done, he's going to change the world. And kings are going to fall silent before a king they'd never seen the like of before. One who was lifted so high because he stooped so low. So first you've got an enigma. But then secondly, we've got suffering misunderstood. Look at chapter 53 now, verses 1 to 3. And this is the, the testimony of those who would come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And worship him. And it is now heard, as people have been pointing out already in the service, miraculously, 600 years before these events actually take place. God can already tell you what the reaction is going to be. You've got the voices here of the first century Christians and preachers. The men and women who saw him and they confess that at first we just didn't get it. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the answer comes back from them in verse 3. We esteemed him not. We couldn't see it by ourselves. You've got this amazing imagery of the arm of the Lord being revealed. It's uh, something that God's already given you a, a clue as to what this means in, in chapter 52, verse 10, where the Lord bared his holy arm before the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. What does it mean to bear your arm? It means to roll your sleeves up, doesn't it? To get to work. Well, what did it look like when the Lord rolled up his sleeves, when the arm of the Lord appeared on earth to win salvation? And Isaiah says he, he looked like he looked like nothing to us. This was was not what we were expecting. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. When the arm of the Lord was revealed here on earth, working powerfully to bring salvation, he was born in a stable. He was laid in a manger. He knew what it was to flee as a refugee. 
He came back and lived in despised Galilee of the Gentiles. He was a carpenter's son. He grew up in poverty and obscurity. He didn't own his own house. When he needed a donkey, he had to borrow one. His appearance wasn't impressive. He was despised and he was rejected by men. A day came when the crowd had to choose between a a political terrorist, a murderer, an insurrectionist, and the Son of God. And unanimously, they chose Barabbas, the political saviour, rather than Jesus, the true saviour. He was the man of sorrows when he came here peculiarly acquainted with grief. And Isaiah says at the beginning of that chapter, we didn't see it. When God came and walked in our midst, we didn't understand this. We despised and we rejected him. Why? Well, because we were so blind. You still so blind. You still trying to hide your face from him. It says here that it takes the power of God's spirit to reveal him to us. God has to reveal this to us so that we see the glory in Jesus' character, in his love and his sufferings and grace. But God loves to reveal this to you. And he wants to do that this afternoon. And maybe you'll see it as thirdly, having gone through the puzzle and sufferings misunderstood we get to verses four to six sufferings explained surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace And with his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And suddenly light is, is dawning on Isaiah. The sorrows of the man of sorrows, the one who was acquainted with grief, verse 3. Those sorrows were, were not his sorrows that were weighing him down. It wasn't his grief that was causing him to stagger. It was ours. He carried our sorrows. He bore our griefs. Think of him. Son of God. Needs nothing. Owns everything. Lives in absolute fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. He has no sorrows of his own. He had no grief of his own. He was the son of God. And yet with neither cooperation from us or understanding by us, he came and he simply took our sorrows and our griefs onto himself. Isn't that a kind thing to do? For someone to come to people who are broken and burdened and crushed, And to say to them, please, let me bear your griefs. 
please let me carry your sorrows. You come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, who are wearied, who are beaten down and broken by yourselves and by the world around you, and I'm going to give you rest. It's a kind thing to do. And he brings rest, not by waving a magic wand. He brings rest by carrying what we can't carry. Yet in the face of all of this kindness and this grace, we read that we esteemed him, we thought him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. The witnesses cry out, we thought God was standing against him. We were there at the cross. We shouted out, he trusted in God. Let God deliver him if he'll have him. And God didn't come and deliver him. Therefore, we assumed that he was the worst person who had ever lived in history. And then more light dawns. God was punishing him. But not for what he'd done. God was punishing him for what we had done. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Think of what it must have been like for those people who had stood mocking at the cross. Pointing at him, convinced that he was the cursed one, not the anointed one. Saying, God stands against you. God hates you. God is punishing you. A few days later, to be convicted at the day of Pentecost under the preaching of Peter. To realise that they were mocking the one who was sent to save them. And they cried out, what shall we do? They must have thought that they were beyond hope. And Peter's able to say, no, believe, repent. Repent and come to him. It was for you. It's the same for you this evening. All that suffering that Jesus went through. All that agony and shame was not just because of your sins. It was for your sins. To do something about them. To pay for them. He was pierced. It's the the fatal blow. In order to save us. From our condemnation. And now Isaiah says there's there's peace that comes through his wounds. And healing that's seen flowing to us through his sacrifice. Peace is what what we long for, isn't it? Not just a little bit of rest. Five minutes to ourselves, please. That's not peace. Peace in the Bible is shalom. Peace is the way it ought to be. Peace is how God made it at first. Peace is what we've lost through sin. But whilst we've lost because of our sin, peace with God and peace within our own beings and peace with one another, Isaiah says the cross has an answer. Is brought us back to the way that it's supposed to be. The brokenness of our lives. 
the brokenness of our hearts, the brokenness of our bodies, even ultimately the brokenness of a sin-cursed world is going to be healed, he says, by his wounds. What a saviour. What a glorious, wonderful saviour. One who has a cure for all of the misery and curse and sadness of this universe. And who has supplied that through one sacrifice at the cross. By his wounds, we are healed. What did we do to deserve this? We did absolutely nothing. He says that we wandered away like sheep. We went our own way. We weren't even looking for this salvation. And so the Father and the Son and the Spirit rolled up their sleeve and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. All my sin, all your sin. The colossal weight was lifted by the Father from your shoulders if you're trusting in him was placed on his son. An old commentator, Thomas Burke, says, every sin of each believer would have been like a separate wound in the heart of the man of sorrows. But he took them all. And fourthly, we've got voluntary, guiltless suffering. Verses 7 to 9, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. The lamb or the sheep just doesn't know what lies ahead, does it? It skips as happily to the shearers as it does to the slaughter. But he did know what was ahead. And he went willingly to that cross for you. He set his face like a flint as he marched toward Jerusalem. When he was in Gethsemane, the horrors of the next few hours were already beginning to sweep over him. And he, he says something remarkable in the Garden of Gethsemane. His, his soul is dying, he says. It's crushing his soul. And yet, he says, Father... If you could take it away, please do. But if not, then your will must be done. And in a few moments, Peter leads that suicidal charge with his tiny little sword against a a load of battle-hardened soldiers who've come to arrest Jesus. He manages to cut someone's ear off. And Jesus replaces the ear. Tells Peter to put the sword away. Just don't you understand, if I wanted, more than 12 legions of angels could come and rescue me. And he keeps the angels in their barracks. And he says to the crowd, you let them go, and then you can take me. The trial was a, a sham. Isaiah saw it, verse 8. The witnesses contradicted themselves. The judge declared him not guilty, but the mob bade for blood. And Jesus was silent. He didn't rage against injustice. He didn't struggle. He didn't fight. He allowed himself to be taken away without a word or a murmur of complaint. 
Isaiah looks at his people now. The witnesses look at each other and they say, as for his generation, as for his peers, who of you considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Did you work it out, he's saying? Why was he silent before his accusers? Well, he was silent because his people were guilty. And it was for our transgressions that he willingly offered his life and was cut off from the land of the living. Who considered this, says Isaiah? Who saw it? The people who saw it were those to whom the arm of the Lord had been revealed, who believe Isaiah's report. Do you? Can you say those words? Alas, and did my saviour bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And the gospel makes you say, yes, he would do that for me. Yes, he willingly did that for me. Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity. Grace unknown and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut her glories in when God, the mighty maker, died for man, his creature's sin. He was cut off for us, Isaiah says. But Isaiah's not finished at the point of his death. And he comes up with another paradox now in in verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, because he'd done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. It's a a complex verse, but Isaiah is telling you that wicked men, plural, and a rich man, singular, were somehow involved in his death and his burial. It's remarkable, isn't it? How God sees all of this. And tells you all 600 years before it happened. Yeah, he was crucified amongst wicked people. With a thief on either side. And it would have been normal for a a body of a criminal to be thrown into the valley of Hinnom. But after this death, this death of deaths, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Because he was innocent. You have to love the way that God is all over this. His son might die the worst death possible for you, for the wicked. But he will move Joseph of Arimathea to pluck up courage and ask Pilate for that body beaten beyond human recognition and give it an honourable burial because he was completely innocent. And then finally, you've got vindication, glory, and honour. Verses 10 to 12. The song now rises up from the depths of shame and suffering, back to the heights of exaltation that it began with. But again, God's anxious that we don't miss that great point. It was not exaltation in spite of humiliation. It was exaltation because of his humiliation. Through humiliation. Paul will make that same point in Philippians 2. This was God's plan. It didn't go badly wrong. And then God somehow managed to to bring it back into a, a good end. 
It was always his plan, it says, to crush his son and put him to grief so that an offering could be made for a sinful, guilty world. What a Lord. People think that, that, that God is so unkind, so uncaring, and they complain about God and if there is a God. And yet, here is the true God who gives up everything for you. Who gives up his beloved son and puts his son to grief so that you and I could become his sons and daughters. What a Jesus offering his soul as a price for our salvation. But now we see more. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That rich man's tomb wasn't needed for very long. And he prolongs his days. He he rises from the dead. And he, he will see his offspring, a new family which is going to be born. A family which Isaiah has become so excited about in these middle chapters. Where he sees Jews and Gentiles coming together through faith into one great new family. And Isaiah says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. This is Jesus now, this evening, looking from heaven at the treasures that his anguish has won. You and your brothers and your sisters. And he's going to see the anguish of his soul, what he brought forth, and he is going to be satisfied. So he's not satisfied yet, is he? Because the whole church hasn't yet been gathered in. And they're not yet with him where he is. There's a future verb here, he shall see and be satisfied. And he's not going to stop working until you and your brothers and your sisters the whole church throughout all the world, throughout all history, are with him where he is. Bodies raised, creation renewed, shalom restored. At the moment he is the dissatisfied redeemer. It's only at the end that he is completely satisfied because it's all been done from the cross, the work of salvation, but the gathering in of the church goes on. And suddenly it's the, the Lord speaking again and he's telling you how he works, how this family gets gathered in. It's by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accepted as righteous or accredited or accounted as righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. This is just a classic statement on justification. This is the gospel, the heart of the gospel. It's about knowing Jesus. Not knowing about Jesus, knowing him personally as your Lord and as you come to faith in him, two things happen. He accredits his righteousness to us, covers us with all of his perfection and he bears our sins away. And the great exchange takes place. I used to think that this servant song ended with a a thudding anticlimax. I was long puzzled by this. 
You get to these last words and you think, is that all he's worth? That he ends up sharing a portion with the many and dividing the spoil with the great. Is that, is that it? A place amongst the great in this world's hall of fame. But actually that's not what Isaiah is saying. A portion is the same as the portion. It's the whole inheritance. And he's saying that the servant who has the whole inheritance as his is going to share it with many people. With you if you believe. And he is going to divide the spoil with the great. And the great in the Bible are the more than conquerors who are putting their trust in him. But God won't finish until once again he's seared this into your mind. He won and is exalted because. Because he poured out his soul to death. Because he was numbered amongst the transgressors. Because he humbled himself and came down to where we are and wasn't ashamed to be called our brother and identified with us and did more than that bore the sins of the many. And now in heaven he brings us to his Father as the intercessor for transgressors. You can come to him this evening. I ask you, go away. You, have to, you can have your tea first. But this evening, go away and, and read Isaiah 52 verse 13 to 53 verse 12. And where it says our, read my. Where it talks about transgressors, read it as me. Where it says we, read it as I. Just marvel and rejoice at what God has done for you. Rejoice at what you must mean to the servant. That he came and did this for you as an individual. If you're spiritually cold and hard-hearted, this will do you more good than 10,000 sermons on the law and the terrors of the law. This is the grace that melts the hardest of hearts. If you're a fearful, doubting Christian, then do what God tells you to do here. Look at my servant. Look at what he's done. If you're feeling so insignificant, this will lift you up. If you're feeling proud, this will put you down. But it will do you good. And if you've never believed, read it. And believe that this was because of my transgressions. This cross was for me. This saviour came to save people like me. And I'm going to trust him. Oh, let's close with our our last song, which is What Gift of Grace.
also to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.